Amen. We're going to continue then this morning. Our series so aptly called All for Jesus. It feels like everything we've sung this morning is saying that. Those words, isn't it? We're all for Jesus this morning. Our lives are his. And I'm going to start by reading the passage we're going to be looking at from John's Gospel. This is the third part of our, our going to be quite long series. I'm not quite sure how many parts, but it's going to be a big number. Um, and we're still in John chapter 1. Um, and I think we might even be staying there a little bit next week as well. So I'm going to start from verse 19. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. And the words, I'm hoping, will appear at the back, even though I sent them at 10.40 this morning. <clears throat> Thank you, guys. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, Who are you? He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. Well, then, who are you? They asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we are expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? John told them, I baptize with, with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, I'll go behold, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testified that he is the chosen one of God. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples, and as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. So this morning, um, we're going to be looking at a life in a moment. And if I declared to you right now some words about your life, and I said you are kind and thoughtful and consider I'm looking at Derek, obviously, thoughtful, considerate, compassionate, lots in the room I could describe with these very kind words. In fact, I'm looking around and all these words could be used for all these people here this morning. But if I said to you this morning, ah, I said, you know, Valerie, you are the greatest amongst those born of women. Now that is a title and a half, isn't it? I'm sorry. You are the greatest amongst those born of women. Wouldn't you love to be described like that? Well, the person we are looking at this morning, he, he called those very words by none other than Jesus. Jesus said that of this person. Now that's quite a title. And we're going to spend some time looking at this man. This man was used by God to break 400 years of silence that existed between the end of, well, in your Bibles, Malachi chapter 4 and Matthew 1. Um, the bit, you know, between the bridge, between the Old and New Testament. You could possibly describe him as the last of the Old Testament prophets and the first New Testament preacher. He was the last in the long line of prophets, such as Moses and Isaiah, who predicted the coming of Christ. 
And as some of you will know from this description, from our reading this morning, we're talking about John the Baptist. So how could we begin to describe John the Baptist? How would we know and describe him if we met him? Well, there's no doubt that you would probably use words like unconventional. You would probably use words like unique. You may use words like maverick. We know that he lived in a desert. We know that he wore clothes made of camel's hair. We know that he was on a locust and honey diet. Now, I don't know if anyone's given that diet to go. I know that I need one, but I'm not sure. I don't even like honey, so it would be a locust-only diet for me. So we know that religious authorities did not like him. We know that he, though, wasn't scared of anyone. Uh, One of his most famous lines that I particularly like is he called the Pharisees a brood of vipers in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. And of course, an accusation that Jesus himself used later in the same gospel. But despite not being liked, despite being unconventional, there was something so wonderful about John the Baptist. He was a man with a clear focus. He knew who and what he lived for. He knew who and what he was prepared to die for. And there are times when people with such focus are misunderstood. And I have to say, I probably would conclude that someone like John the Baptist, someone unusual, someone unconventional, someone focused, may struggle occasionally to find places in local churches. Yet here he was, given a title by Jesus as the greatest born of woman. Sorry, Valerie, that's not your title. It was John the Baptist. The greatest born of woman. Wow. And those of you here convinced of your calling to follow Christ, you will be seen, I can guarantee, as unconventional. I can guarantee you'll be seen as unusual. And even as a church here at Raglan Road at the moment, we're in a season of going through you know, significant change and we're working through our particular call and our particular mission and our vision. And it's not an easy place to be, to be perfectly honest. It's, it's, when you're working out direction, it's hard, it's fragile, it feels uncomfortable. But actually, this character of John the Baptist is so helpful in anyone's season of uncertainty, let alone a church's. And actually, I think in our discussions that we've had so far as leaders about our vision, I think we're heading to something pretty unconventional, pretty unique to our circumstances and our surroundings. But, you know, as a church and as individuals, it's not about being unconventional for the sake of it. It's not being unusual for the sake of it. You know, lots of people actually do love to be called maverick. They've watched the Top Gun movie far too many times. They want to be a bit different. They want to be a bit unique. But you know what? John the Baptist, I don't think, saw himself as unusual or a maverick or unconventional because he wasn't unique. He wasn't trying to be unique, so he was unique. He wasn't trying to be unique. He wasn't unconventional for the sake of being unconventional. He just simply was obedient to God's call on his life. And that is my hope for our lives and my hope for this church, that we are obedient to the call of God wherever it takes us. And whatever, it, whatever anyone calls us, we follow that call that we learn from this man of God. Not necessarily in appearance or in wardrobe or in diet, but we learn from John the Baptist in his attitude, in his heart, in his purpose for life. He says it, uh, John, sorry, says it best, the Gospel of John writer says it best himself when he says, referring to Christ later in John 3 verse 30 that he must become greater and greater and I John the Baptist must become less and less what a wonderful wonderful explanation of our relationship with Jesus that he becomes more and I become less and that is our job as we've done this morning to exalt and to glorify 
to further Christ. So three things I want to look at this morning as we explore who John the Baptist is from the Gospel of John. And I want to look at his identity. And those of you doing Life Discover will know how crucial and core this is to our Christian walk. It's what we focused on. I'm going to carry on tomorrow. I've got my plug in for YouTube channel when we look at Jesus as our saviour. But I also want to look at his mission and his vision as well. So let's start then with this core thing we all need to know, our identity in Christ and how John the Baptist helps us to find that identity. And the reason he helps us is because John the Baptist knew that he wasn't the focus. He wasn't the light. He was merely pointing towards the light. He didn't try to build a platform or even create an identity for himself. He received his identity from God. And the good news that we have of the gospel is that in Christ, you and I receive an identity far greater than anything that we can build for ourselves. John the Baptist knew that himself. He had this amazing platform, this amazing ministry. People were following him, but he knew that his identity wasn't in himself and his own own achievements. Think of what you could build, what you could claim. You know, you may invent something. You may set up a project or start this initiative, and many of that... Many of that will be amazing, and we would celebrate with you in doing that. But the greatest celebration comes from knowing that you are forgiven sinners, that you are beloved of God, that you are adopted children of God the Father, that you're liberated, that you're rescued, that you are rescued citizens of God's kingdom, that you're one with Christ, that you are renewed and transformed from one degree of glory to another. That is your identity, not on what you have sought to do and what you've sought to build. Because, you know, we don't build our own identity from scratch. We don't, you know, well, we do actually, I think society does. We say, I have to do something with my life. I have to start something. I have to be part of something. I have to create something. I have to invent something. I'm exhausted just thinking about that. Just stop. Pause. Breathe. Receive the identity that only God can give you. You know, John the Baptist, a phenomenal preacher, as I said, a phenomenal, he would have a huge YouTube following. He'd have far more views than even, than even Ralph and Marion. And to be honest, they have a lot. You know, he would have huge amounts of views. He attracted huge crowds. He baptized lots and lots of people. But there's something so incredibly different about this preacher with this huge following from sadly some of those who attract a huge following today. And it's what he said about himself. He could have said, you know, I'm the chosen one who's come to break 400 years of divine silence. I am the last Old Testament prophet. Some even thought that he was the Messiah. He could have believed his own press. You know, some, let's call them attractional preachers, they like to believe their own PR sometimes. They start behaving like superheroes, that they are the answers to the church. They're answers to the problems of the world around them. And John could have believed that, easily fall into that trap of believing his own PR. He could have even said, I'm not the Messiah, but I've known the Messiah since the womb. Our mums are practically cousins. But here's his reaction. I am not the Christ. I am not the anointed one. I am not the one that you've been waiting for. Now, he even deflects the Pharisees away from a conversation that's all about him. You know, when people start talking about you, let's be honest, you really don't want them to stop talking, do you? You want them to keep talking about you. You know, those conversations that you've had when someone talks about themselves for a few hours and then they come to you for a few minutes and, you know, you want to keep it on yourself. Let's be honest, we have a little bit of self-involvement at times 
when we want those conversations to be about us. It's part of human nature, not always necessarily a good part of it. But here's John the Baptist in a conversation all about him, and he deflects it straight away. He had this goal in life. It was to point to someone else because he understood that he's not the focus. And in terms of identity for ourselves, we start with this. We know that we are not the focus. Now, I know in this room, there are not those people who, uh, you know, in your face, arrogant, self-seeking. But you know what? I'm pretty sure that all of us struggle with thinking about ourselves. Thinking that the world sometimes needs to revolve around us. Maybe wanting a certain image, a certain reputation, wanting to be liked, wanting to be accepted. But John's response to the Pharisees just is so helpful. It reminds us that we are not the focus. We are not the focus of so much time and energy and effort. We are not the Christ. And this morning, right, even right at this heart level, we've been worshipping Christ instead of worshipping ourselves. That's what we've come this morning to do. Worship the Lord Jesus. Because it's so easy to be absorbed and engrossed with our own lives that we don't even realise that we've neglected our real purpose in life, which is to further Christ, to make him great and to make us less. Now, this is no small matter. Whether you, you know, whatever you spend your time on, studying about, dreaming about, reflecting on, that is what will dominate and direct your life. And not only are we to understand that we are not the focus, I think we also need to understand that we are not the solution. And this is really important. You know, that's a good thing, that we are not the solution. I believe for John the Baptist, one of the reasons he had, he was able to live unconventionally, was this freedom and contentment and believing that he was not the solution. He wasn't looking to himself to right all the wrongs of the, the world. He gave and surrendered his life and his circumstances to his saviour. If you believe that everything that you do is solely dependent on you, you will have a constant burden on your life. Instead of going to God, you will look to yourself. You'll look to your own resources, your own intellect, your own willpower to solve all the problems that come your way. And you'll become frustrated. You'll become weary because things won't work the way you expect. But if you understand that you are not the superhero, you are not the Christ, you can then live the life that you're supposed to live. You can let you be you and let God be God. How powerful is that? And for those of you serving in ministry, maybe watching this later on YouTube because you've been serving, I praise God for you. I love you and thank you for doing what you're doing. But we all need this understanding. This understanding that as we pray, as we worship, as we prophesy, as we engage in this powerful life-changing worship, as we set up projects that show practically what it is to receive unconditional love and compassion, as we provide opportunities for discipleship, for people to grow in faith and faithfulness to God, as we work to share good news of Christ with others, as we work with our children and young people to help them nurture and grow in that faith, as we form a vision for a church. You know, when we do all these things, and we shall do all these things, we do them recognizing that it's only God that can save. It's only God that can redeem. It is only God that can sanctify. We are not called to place burdens on our shoulders that only God can carry. We need to be clear about who we are. 
And this story of John the Baptist, this, this connection between John the Baptist and the Pharisees just lays it out for me so clearly. Verse 22 to 23, then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? And John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. John says, I am a voice. In a world where everyone wants to be seen and known, he just simply says, I am a voice. I am an instrument for my master. Not just any voice, but a voice crying out in the wilderness, fulfilling the word of the prophet Isaiah, preparing a way, clearing the obstacles, clearing the path, getting hearts ready for the main attraction. We're not here to make our name great, but simply be a voice that points others to Jesus. We are messengers of God. We are heralds of the gospel. We are heralds of the good news of Jesus Christ. And you see at the end of today's passage, in verse 35 to 37, I actually really love this bit. I know it doesn't sort of say it directly, but I just want to be there. And I know Derek will take this a bit further as he looks at the disciples next week. But it says, John's standing there with two of his disciples. And as they see Jesus walking by, he's like, you know, what are you still standing here next to me? <laughs> what are you still standing next to me for here? Go and follow Jesus. John wanted his disciples, his followers, to move on from him. He's not concerned with building a following for himself. His goal is to see how many people he can persuade and influence that they follow Christ, that he might decrease and that Christ may increase. Isn't that powerful? I just find that so powerful. I know it's sort of in there. It's like, oh yeah, two disciples, they go off and follow Jesus. But John just lets it happen. You can, I, I believe he wants it to happen. And, it, and we go to, to back to this, the verse 24 to, four, to, to 26. And the Pharisees, they're really wanting a debate, aren't they? Let's face it, Pharisees love a debate. They love an argument. They're looking to John to justify his actions. So then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? And John told them, well, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. You know, John the Baptist totally changes the point here, doesn't he? Verse, he's like a politician. He's evading the question, partly because it's a ridiculously stupid question. And he comes out with this great statement. What a great way to floor an interviewer, isn't it? You know, what, the interviews asked, what right do you have to baptize? And he's expecting, you know, John the Baptist to defend himself. But he just says, well, right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Totally changes the subject in a good way. Most politicians don't do that in a good way, but he does it in a good way because it's a silly question. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. He deflects the question on him to an answer that is all about Jesus. And that moves us a bit towards his mission. You know, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. It's the opportunity to make sure people recognize who Jesus is. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even, I want to read that again. I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He's basically saying to the Pharisees, you are missing the point. You're concerned about my pedigree. You're concerned about my knowledge, my background, my authority, but you're missing the point. John's saying, I'm just the opening act. And you're missing the main event. 
They were asking him if he was the Christ. And John said, look, he's already here and you haven't recognized him. And as for me, well, I am unworthy to untie his sandal strap. Now, in this society, removing the sandal strap, I'm not sure it was even a servant's responsibility. I think it was a sub-servant's responsibility. It's the lowest class, the lowest form of service. John is saying, compared to the worth of Jesus, I'm below a servant. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. What humility. But with that humility comes freedom. He knows who he is and he knows what he's not. He knows he doesn't need to prove himself because the focus is on God and his worth and what he says about you. We already know who we are. We are his children. Our identity is in him. Now we know what we are to do with our lives. Now, there's nothing specific in this. It tells you, you know, what career to take, where to live. The Bible doesn't give you specifics. You know, you work that out. God gives you the freedom to work that out, to be honest. And you work that out through prayer, through being in community called church with other brothers and sisters in Christ. But here's what we can say. Our job and our call is to point people to Christ, wherever God has placed us. Whatever time in history we're in, whatever place in geography where we are in, we point people to Christ. So John brings people back to the real topic. Forget these questions about water and baptism. Of course I baptise with water. I mean, what else do you expect me to baptise with? You know, come on. That's what I would be saying in that argument. You know, but anyway, this person, I'm not even worthy to be a servant. I'm not even worthy to take off his sandals and, and walk, after walking in the desert in the day. That is the one that you need to follow. You may think that I'm good. And let's not forget that description Jesus gave him, the greatest born of woman. But that greatest isn't even worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus, the one that we point to. So we have our identity. We have our mission to point to Jesus. And then John gives us this vision of who Jesus is. And it's totally unexpected. Let's be honest, this would have shocked the listeners. Verse 29 The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is a shocking statement John the Baptist made. He is the one I was talking about when I said, verse 30, he is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. So after the grilling After the inane questions from the Pharisees, here comes the real deal. Jesus walking towards us. And here is John declaring one of the most well-known descriptions of Christ. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John tells us who he is. That he's not worthy to untie the sandals He tells us his job, his role, his calling in life is to introduce Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, Lamb of God may be a confusing statement for some if you're not familiar with church. It may be a term you struggle to understand. And I would encourage you, a second plug, listen to Life Discovered tomorrow where we talk about Jesus as Savior. And it's one of the descriptions that we use. But let me say this, for the audience that John the Baptist was speaking to, this was a shocking statement to say Lamb of God. They would have expected, behold your king, behold your majesty. But they say a Lamb of God, a lamb. 
Now, our, our image of lamb is, and the, most of the children aren't here, but fluffy, cute little things. And I'm going to have to apologize to, to fans of lambs, but, you know, in the days of Jesus, they're either eaten, sheared, or sacrificed. And, and sorry for any vegetarians and those who like fluffy lambs, but images of slaughtered lambs in the days of Jesus would have been pretty normal. You would have known exactly what that means. And here's John the Baptist using this term, behold the Lamb of God. And immediately we're thinking, what, this saviour is like a slaughtered lamb, sacrificed? But here's John the Baptist talking about hope. He's talking about this new Messiah coming. He's on his way and he's talking to a people, let's face it, who are tired of nations ruling over them, of being occupied tired of the Romans, eager for hope, eager for something to improve their life. They hear this message of repentance and getting baptized. They believe that's a key to a better life. Perhaps that will relieve their hardships, their challenges. Maybe there's a new king that we can get round and we can rally behind. And they get to hear about this Messiah that they've been waiting for. And he's described by this new wonderful prophet, John the Baptist, as a lamb of God. One that is slaughtered. Just imagine your thinking, your feeling. You see, they didn't recognize that the problems they faced, the Roman occupation, the lack of a king to follow, they were not their greatest problem. The greatest problem was their sin. They didn't recognize they were under judgment. They didn't realize that they needed a sacrifice. And yet there is Jesus coming into this world, not to bring what they wanted, not to bring the prosperity and wealth and overrule the kingdom and get rid of the Romans. But he came to actually save us from our greatest need, our greatest problem, which is our sin. And John points to Jesus because he knows that he's the God man, that he's fully God. He's fully human. He's the sinless savior. He's the final sacrifice. He is He's human, which means he can bear the sins of humanity. He's sinless, which qualifies him to be the substitute of sinners. And he's immortal, which means he never has to be replaced. And he's offered himself as this final sacrifice. And there's no need for any others. So what you believe to be your greatest problem in life isn't what you're going through right now. It's simply sin, separation from God. And the Lamb of God comes to take away the sins of the world. The greatest problem is not finances, relationships, your future. We need forgiveness. We need grace. And here is the vision. The Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. Now you may know... Those of you who read your Bibles, that John's life, John the Baptist's life ends abruptly and ends in an also gruesome way and spends the last portion of his life in prison and and then is beheaded by Herod. The man described as the greatest amongst those born of women is executed. And you know the reason why he's executed is because he has an unwavering commitment to the Lord to obey God. And there's a sense that following Jesus may not in this world and not in the world's terms end well. You know, being executed is not the way that you would want the life in this world to end. But of course, the good news of the gospel is that death 
is not the end. The good news of the gospel does not maybe solve those immediate problems of your finances, your relationships, your circumstances. It can transform them, don't get me wrong. But actually sometimes our circumstances get worse when we follow Jesus as we should. But the good news of the gospel is that you are free from the bondage of sin and death. That you are made holy and blameless and perfect in his sight. That you are rescued from that final judgment and you get to be with Christ forever. That is worth living for and it's worth dying for. John was willing to live for Christ and he's willing to die for Christ. He knew that Jesus was the son of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knew who Jesus really was. It changed, it transformed him. He saw that Jesus was the long-awaited Christ. He was the Messiah. He was the, the final prophet, the final priest, the final king. He was the prophet to end all prophets. He was the word become flesh. Jesus doesn't come to point a way to God. Jesus is the way to God. He is the priest to end all priests. There is no need for any more temporary sacrifices that need to be done over and over and over again. He is the final spotless sacrifice. He is the king to end all kings. What a vision. What a vision of Jesus, the Lamb of God. The perfect final prophet, priest and king. Is your identity in him. Are you prepared to lift him high for him to increase and for you to decrease? Does that vision of who he is inspire you to live for him and die for him? Because ultimately that is how we as a group of people here will function. As people that are prepared to live and die for Jesus. As a community of people to lay down our lives for him. To do as we've said in this series, to, ha- to give out all for Jesus. What a privilege. What an honor. What a joy. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is the vision I see. I'm clean. I am free. I have hope because of Jesus. And I get now to point people to Jesus. Not to be the superhero, not to solve people's problems, but to point them to the one who is truly the king, truly the prophet, truly the priest, truly the lamb of God. Are we ready to claim our identity here in him? To embrace this vision of who he is? Are we ready to give our all to say he is greater and I am less? Are we ready to allow him to do his work? It's not about us. It's all about him.